You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thought you would do? Are you an unpredictable person? Uh, I like to be a little unpredictable. My wife, Sabrina, likes me to be predictable, but I'm not. Uh, are you maybe, or maybe are you the unpredictable type of person where everything you do is unexpected? That's where I kind of like to thrive. I like to just I see how much chaos I can make. <laughs> but again, my wife does not like that, usually. Um, and it's almost like, you know, it's almost expected at that point. Like, my wife expects me to be crazy. And we do have some crazy children as well. And I warned her when she agreed to marry me that our kids might be crazy. And she still married me, so that says a lot. But we all either have, like, uh, or have had a friend or have friends who... You never really know what's going to happen when you hang out with them, right? Uh, whether when you were a student in high school or middle school or maybe even now, like right now, you have a friend or a coworker who like, when you go be with that person, you're like, I, we don't know what's going to happen when we're, with, or when we're around this person. Uh, Jesus was this kind, I'm going to say, I think Jesus was this kind of friend, okay? Imagine being one of Jesus' disciples, okay? I kind of think Jesus was the type of friend who would have you skip work, or like skip school to go do something kind of crazy. Like he actually, I'm not making this up. He did that. When he called the disciples who were fishing, he said, hey, stop working and come hang out with me. I'm just saying. Jesus was one of those friends who he just, you didn't ever really know what was going to happen when you were with them. Like, you know, the disciples probably were talking like, hey, Jesus, what are we going to do today? And he's like, oh, you know, we're going to go feed these 5,000 people. And they're like, what? Jesus, what are we going to do today? Oh, we're going to just go travel, you know, home to Galilee and on a normal day. We're going to go through Samaria, though. What? I'll explain that one in a second. Jesus, what are we going to do today? Oh, we're just, we're just going to just walk on some water. Like, he, whatever he did, you probably, I don't think the disciples ever ex- fully expected what a day in the life of hanging out with Jesus was going to look like. And so we're going to be in John chapter 4 today where we look at, it, at that instance where Jesus walks through Samaria. And it seems like, wow, Ryan. You're talking about a, like a trek he took. Yes, because it's important. But before we see in John 4, we see a lot of stuff that Jesus does because we're kind of, we're talking about that's the Jesus problem. And today we're talking about the Jesus problem that we have. Uh, John, uh, Ron has been speaking out of John chapter 11 of the past couple Sundays where the, the, the world had this Jesus problem and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious, the religious leaders, the people had this problem that Jesus kept putting in their faces, in their lives, and they had to solve it. And so today we're talking about the problem that we have. Jesus, maybe the problem that Jesus brings into our life. And so before John 4, we see that Jesus always kind of was setting himself up as an agitator. Okay, in John 2, we see Jesus starts receiving some of John the Baptist's disciples. Like John the Baptist's disciples are going, okay, you're good, but this is the Messiah, right? We're probably going to hang out with this guy instead. You know, one of them was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, who brought Peter to Jesus and said, you got to check this Jesus guy out. You know, not long after this, he, Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he turns the, temp, the, the tables over and he drives out the merchants who are trading and buying and selling in the temple. Not long after that, okay, you know, we see, uh, and, uh, sorry, and before that, actually, I skipped one. He turns water into wine. Like, he does all these random crazy things that people don't expect him to do. He's always setting himself up as an agitator. From the moment he stepped onto the scene, Jesus was this, as his problem began, just began to fester. And it, it culminated in John 11, like we said earlier, but I think one of the most countercultural, 
controversial things Jesus did was found in John chapter 4, where he walks into Samaria and he speaks to a Samaritan woman. And at face value today, there's not a whole lot wrong with that. But in the time when Jesus did this, let me tell you, it would have been the, one of the worst things that Jesus could have done. And so God's plan, here we go, was to reunite all people under one worship. Again, this is why Jesus came into the world. God's plan was to unite the entire world underneath his son. And he started among his historically chosen people, the Israelites. This is where Jesus was born. This is the world he lived in. This is where he lived and breathed and walked. And so um, there had been a split between the Jews and the Samaritans for hundreds of years, hundreds of years. Uh, So much so that the Samaritans were not allowed to worship in the Jewish temple. Like that was the level of, no, we don't don't talk to one another. You're not even allowed to come worship with us. And so the the Samaritans actually had built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And during the Maccabean revolt, a few hundred years before Jesus was alive, the Jews went and destroyed it because they did not view it as a temple worthy to be worshiping God in because the Samaritans were doing it. And so this entire background, there was a hatred and some, just like so much bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, and they were, because they were cast out, sinful people. And what's great is about this story is that God chose to use the people, the cast out sinful people to show how deep his forgiveness goes. And because of this, Jews did not associate themselves with Samaritans all these reasons. Maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. God chose these people to be some of the first to receive Jesus as the Messiah. This is where we see Jesus first declares himself in clear words to be the Messiah, really. He talks with Nicodemus one chapter earlier about, you know, how, who, like the son, the, the, the son came into the world, all that, but he says in clear words in this passage we're going to read this morning that he is the Messiah to the outcast the broken, and the least of these. There's amazing imagery here in this, in this passage. So we're going to read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Uh, and I do have a fun three-point sermon for you guys this morning. So it's going to, if you're taking notes, you, I got three points. It's really easy. They're pretty fun to remember, in my opinion. So John chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. If you follow, I got your Bibles turned there, or you can look on the screens as well. You can follow along. It says this. Um, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So he's already starting to make a name for himself here. And although, in fact, that it was not Jesus who's baptizing, but his disciples, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And I'm going to read one more verse actually really quick because in verse 8 and 9 it says, His disciples had gone out of the town to buy food, so he was alone. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And so there we get the background that we're talking about with Jews and Samaritans. She knows. And she even says, Why are you talking to me? Because you, Jews don't, Jews and we don't do this. We don't, we don't do this. And so Jesus, I want to say this first point right here is that Jesus goes out of his way to encounter you, church. And if you're listening this morning or if you're listening online, he 
every day goes out of his way to encounter you, the, I'm going to say the trick is, are we willing to encounter him back? Or are we going to ignore him? Or are we going to respond, uh, like, you usually don't, you, we don't usually do this. And so Jesus was baptizing more people than John, so he decided to go back to where he had like a little bit of home field advantage again in Galilee, where the Pharisees usually wouldn't follow him up there. He could go up there and he could do some stuff for a while without having to worry about the Pharisees. And it says he had to pass through Samaria. And this is what I love about this, because no, he didn't. He did not. Uh, he could have gone around. He could have gone around to the right and crossed the Jordan River and gone around Samaria or gone around to the left and gone around Samaria like the Jews were accustomed to doing. So Galilee was not part of Samaria. It was just north of Samaria. And when a Jew traveled from Judea to Galilee, they would go around. They would not go through because Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Are you getting the theme here? It says, but it says he had to. And the word, the Greek word that they use, that John uses here for had, is the word di, which means he uses had or must, and it's the Greek word that means it is necessary. And actually, John uses this word many times in his gospel. I looked it up many times, and I'm going to just read a few of them really quick, because whenever John uses it, it's in reference to a divine necessity, not just it's necessary because it's the best option. It's necessary because of a divine necessity from God. If you look at John chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus says, you must be born again. This isn't I recommend you or it's, it's necessary. It's God has called us to be born again. Okay, in John chapter 3, verse 14, he says, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's, necess it's a necessity. It's necessary. It's God's plan for the son to be lifted up. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he says, he, uh, John the Baptist says, he must increase, but I must decrease. It was God's divine plan that John the Baptist would prepare the way for Jesus and then disappear so that Jesus could take the center stage and ele be elevated. In John chapter 4, we see he had to, he must, it's necessary. It was God's plan for him to go through Samaria. And later in John chapter 4, this is where I'll stop with this because I could just do this the rest of the day. It says, he, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is the divine necessity for his people that we worship God in spirit and in truth. This tells us that it was completely and totally part of God's plan. It was a divine plan. So here in 4, we see this plan being played out as Jesus had to pass through Samaria. It wasn't logistically better. It wasn't easier. It wasn't the right plan. It was God's plan. And so actually I actually want to read John chapter 5, verses, uh, uh, just verse 19. And this is uh, one chapter later where we see Jesus is talking with people and he actually just healed someone. He heals a man on the Sabbath. And then people ask him about this interaction. And just as how Jesus responds to this interaction, he says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And so Jesus, he went through Samaria because that's the plan. That's the path God told them to take. And again, Jesus is setting himself up as a problem. He calls God his father, and the crowd tries to kill him for it in this conversation in John chapter 5, which is a total reasonable response. Like, you say something bad, okay, we're just going to, like, we're going to throw rocks at you. That's always my, like, the funniest thing to me. Like, we don't like what you say, so we're going to throw rocks at you, which is a very mature response. 
It's not. But Jesus states that he only does what he sees the Father doing. So he went here because the Father sent him. Jesus followed the Father. And I want to ask this question. What does it look like this Easter season to follow the Father for you? There's a divine plan. There's a divine necessity God's putting before you that he's calling out of you right now. What does it look like to follow the Father as we get closer and closer to Easter for you? See, because it's uh, a rededicate, is it a rededication to him and his standards for you? Is that what following looks like? Or maybe it's to choose to step out in your faith and tell God you're ready to go deeper this Easter season. And so as we now know, and we'll, we're going to keep hearing, no practicing and faithful Jew would have traveled through Samaria. They would have gone around. The Samaritans are those, I'm going to give you a little bit more backstory. The Samaritans were those who were left behind after the country of Israel was conquered by Assyria, and then the country of Judah later was conquered by the Babylonians, and they carried off all the people they wanted to take with them, and they left behind those they didn't. And those who were left behind, those are the Samaritans, because what had happened was whenever a conquering army or a kingdom would take over a territory, they would take the best people with them, they'd leave behind the rest, and then they'd have their people move in and mix. And it actually made it easier to, to have, to, for people not to revolt because most people don't want to revolt against their, their father-in-law or their grandchildren. So the conquering empires would bring in other, their own people and force the native people to mix. And so these people who stayed and were forced to live there and marry and, and all that with people who God had already told them not to were considered the Samaritans because they had unfaithfully not followed God's commands to not intermarry with other people. And that, that's at the core of why it was so controversial, is that the Samaritans were left behind and they did some things that they knew they were not supposed to do. And so they were considered less than and not good enough. And I know that I felt that, I have felt that way before in my life. Have you ever felt that way where you're, are you feeling, maybe you're feeling this way right now? Well, then I want to say, church, we or you, all of us, are in the prime spot to have an encounter with Jesus like the woman in the story we're going to read about. See, God's plan for us is too important to leave to chance. And God is willing to encounter you right where you are, right in your circumstances, right in the middle of all your busy life. You can be crazy busy and you can still have an encounter with Jesus. Jesus, he's pretty quick. Okay. I would encourage you maybe slow down and that might help, but Jesus is fast. He can, have, he can encounter you right where you are. He wants to intentionally do that. It doesn't matter how far he has to go. It doesn't matter what he needs to do. It doesn't matter what it looks like, church. He will encounter you, but how will you respond when he does? Are you going to say, uh, we, don't, we don't do this? Or are you going to and welcome in the conversation and the encounter with Jesus? Okay, I want to read John chapter 4, verses 7 through 26, and then we're going to get into another thing, and this is where we're going to really start to see where Jesus uh, does some interesting things, and he becomes kind of a problem. So John chapter 4, we're going to read verses, uh, we're going to start from verse 9 again and go down through 26, and we're going to, this is the whole conversation Jesus has with her. Uh, so in verse 9, it says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and gave it to his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty or have to come, keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. And this is where you know, we see the reality of who she is. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband, because the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have with you right now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Uh, so search, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but the Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem, even though the Jews won't let them worship in Jerusalem. And they used to worship on that mountain until the Jews stopped them from worshiping on that mountain. So there's a little, there's a little bitterness there, I think. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must, must worship in spirit and in truth. So the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And this is, again, G John loves the I am statements, right? Jesus says, I am he. I, she says, I know the Messiah is coming, and he's going he's gonna to make all this make sense to me. And Jesus is saying, I'm making it make sense to you right now. Jesus engineered this conversation. I don't think it's a coincidence that he purposely went through Samaria, purposely says he was tired, so he sat down at the well, sent his disciples to get some food, and then waited for the woman he knew he needed to encounter that day to come to the spot where he could explain to her that he has something to give her. He has some living water to give to her as he sits next to a well where she's coming to get water. And so have you ever been in a mood where, though, you're feeling like, I just don't want to do stuff today? Or maybe like somebody like, yeah. Or maybe like, I don't want to do, I don't want to do any of my stuff. I just want to get home and be left alone. Or maybe I don't want to be challenged today. I just want to do my normal routine and just then chill. Okay. Um, or if your parents have you ever felt like, man, I really don't want to be touched by anyone or talk to anyone by anymore right now. Probably because like the kids are that, that are touching you are sticky or they've been saying the same thing on repeat for like two hours. There's actually a really funny uh, show that our kid has watched called Bluey, and it's about a dog family. And there's one episode where the dad comes home from work, and the mom is washing dishes or doing something, and this is so funny because he comes to the door, and he says, hi, honey, I'm home, and he gives her a kiss, and she drops everything, and she says, I need 20 minutes where no one touches me or talks to me or bugs me, and if anyone bugs me, I'm going to die or something like that. Like she just, and then she just storms out, and the husband's like, Okay. And then they play some game with the kids. But it's like, isn't sometimes we just like need to say like, I need 20 minutes where no one talks to me, no one touches me, and every, people just leave me alone. Have you ever felt that way? This woman wasn't expecting this encounter today, on this day. She wasn't expecting to, to have to go deep. She wasn't expecting that she was going to have, so she was going to meet the Savior. She was just going to get some water at noon. And that's what's so great is it's at, it's at noon, so there's a good news, okay? There's good news here. God and his Holy Spirit thrive on operating in compassion. Uh, the difference between God's compassion and our compassion, though, is that when Jesus had compassion on someone, he actually did something about it. 
Jesus was not okay with leaving people in their normal, okay, or, or even broken circumstances. And I think I might have skipped over it, but here's the second point, is that Jesus challenges your normal. He doesn't, he's not okay with normal. He's not okay with routine. He's not okay with going through the motions and just trying to get through the day. No, Jesus wants to have an encounter with you that changes your life today. And he wants to have an encounter with you that changes your life tomorrow, He challenged our normal to be something that means so much more. And Jesus, he made this woman curious. I love this. He offered her something other than her normal. And he drew into the conversation and made her curious about the things of God. He didn't condemn her. Jesus made her curious of what she could receive from him. Church, aren't you just a little bit curious about what you could get from Jesus this morning? I am. Aren't you a little bit curious about the conversation Jesus is trying to have with you today? I am. And in this passage, Jesus tells the woman that if she only knew how that, what he had to offer, and that she had asked him for it, he would have given her living water. And so living water, as we quickly move through this, living water in the Old Testament or in the New Testament times as well, is referred to that's water and that's moving. So water that was not moving, that sat still, was not considered living water because it wasn't moving. Um, And that's why, so they would have a lot of places or like springs that would have water moving through them is where they would go to get fresh living water from. And it's great because Jesus, he asked, he says, you, I would have given you living water. And when he said that, she would have known what he meant, that water that was good, better than just water from a well. And so Jeremiah 2 verse 13 talks about this, about God, what he says to his people, he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, And have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so God is the spring of living water. Jesus is saying, I am the living water. I have this to give to you. I have something great for you. And the living water doesn't just come from within us. We are like the well in that we must draw water out of us. We have to work hard to pull something good out of us a lot of the times, right? No one's perfect 24-7. Jesus tells us there's a better way. There's a better way to live your best life, and that is this. It's not just storing up water in your own cistern, okay, within yourself, like filling yourself up and storing up water and saying, okay, I'm good. No, it's about allowing springs of living water to constantly be flowing into you and through you. It's not about all the things we can store up in us and all the good fruits of the Spirit that we can just pile onto ourselves or the gifts of the Spirit we can just have for ourselves and say, this is good, I'm good. It's about the living water that comes from within us and then goes out of us. It's not about anything we can put and store inside of us. Are you thirsty for forgiveness for this morning? Are you thirsty for a purpose? Are you thirsty for acceptance? Jesus is saying, bring me your emptiness and I will fill it. See, Jesus can challenge our normal because he knows exactly what that is. Not only because he lived it, but because he knows us. He truly, truly knows us. He knew this woman. He knew her past sins. He knew her present situation. He knew what he had planned for her to go in to step into because he knew her. And see, he knows us deeper than anyone I think has ever known us. Living water from the sun, he showed her that he wasn't just some crazy Jewish guy with crazy things to say on a random day at noon at a well. 
he challenged her normal. That's her normal, her normal day, her normal circumstances. Jesus is not calling, he's not trying to call you out just like he wasn't trying to call her out and show you all your mistakes. Yeah, though he did tell her, hey, I know where you come from. He's calling you up and he ex- ex- has expectations for his people. He's not saying, I'm going to tell you all your wrongdoing so you can feel bad. He's saying, I'm going to tell you how I want you to worship me so in your worship, you will continue to seek me. And that's what it's about to Jesus. One of the core expectations that God has for his people is worship. And the topic of worship comes up in this conversation. You can tell here that it's kind of still, again, it's a sore subject that their temple was destroyed. She's like, we used to worship. We kind of, we tried to worship on this mountain, but you Jews say we have to do it over here. Jesus brings them hope because God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The mountain of God, the temple, whatever temple, is no longer the issue. Jesus tells her it's about how we let the Spirit of God lead us, where we are. Not about where we go to to be led by the Spirit of God. It's not about where we go to experience the Spirit of God. It's about how we let the Spirit of God and His divine plan, that DI life, that we must, it's necessary to worship him, it has now become a lifestyle of worship and not a place we go to to experience it. And lastly, this morning would be this, is that Jesus' compassion reveals his identity and who he is. Um, and as we have been going through this passage, I want us to see that it was Jesus', again, his compassion that moved him towards this encounter. And the thing is, church, we will continue to have a Jesus problem the one that we have, like we, we've kind of been building to this moment, we're going to continue to have a Jesus problem until we realize that what we truly have is a Jesus solution. The Samaritan woman encountered the Jesus problem, and it was not until she realized that he was actually the solution that she was finally free. And her response is inspirational. We're going to read how she responds to her conversation with Jesus really quick. Um, and it's in John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 28 through 30. And it says this, and actually I think I saw Steve with this shirt on. It's pretty great. In chapter, uh, verse 28, uh, it says this, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Then it says, uh, they came out of town and they made their way toward him. She left her water jar. She forgot her water That's what she went there to get, right? But what she left with was what she needed. She left the water. That that water jar jar was the symbol of her stagnant life, her normal life. And now with living water flowing from within her, she ran into her town and let her compassion reveal the identity of Jesus. Jesus' compassion reveals who he is every time. See, this all occurs at the sixth hour, is what the Bible says, which is, is we know is, is meeting at noon, 12 o'clock. And the only other time that John references something happening in the sixth hour in his gospel is in, found in John chapter 19, verses 14 through 16. And I'll give you, if you don't want to know what happens on Easter, maybe you're like, I just really want to hear how, what happens on Easter, on Easter, then plug your ears because this is a spoiler alert for you. Um, John chapter 19, verses 14 through 16 says this. It was the day of pen- a preparation for the Passover, and it was about... Noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, Take him away. Take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. 
We have no king, but Caesar, the chief priest, answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And the difference between a Samaritan woman proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah at about noon and the Jews of Israel rejecting him and shouting away with him, crucifying him, is scary. God's, the rejected, broken people accepted Jesus. They saw him for who he truly was, the Messiah, and his chosen people shouted away with him. And as this chapter is riddled with hidden meeting and deep, deep conversations, the words come and see are what stand out. They stand alone. They are the easiest words to use when talking to someone about God. Because all you need to do is say, come and see, come and experience the goodness of God and what he's done in my life. Church, your, your story, your testimony that you have, your life is the best evangelical, you know, uh, is the best tool for spreading the gospel. Can you think of some of the good things God's done for you? And when you talk to someone, you can say, come, come and see. Come and experience the goodness of God that he's put in my life. And I'm, I know that I know that I know he will do it for you too. The Samaritan woman followed Jesus' playbook too. I love this because when Jesus entered a space, he felt compassion. And it's the compassion that called that Jesus to weep when Lazarus died, right? And then bring him back from the dead. It's that kind of compassion that forced him to stop when the woman touched him in the crowd as she squeezed through people where she would never go because she had a problem with bleeding, but she thought it's worth the risk if I can just touch his robe. And his compassion caused him to stop because she, through her faith, she was healed, but Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? And he turned around and he restored her not only physically, but mentally and spiritually and socially and emotionally as well. This woman, she had compassion and her compassion forced her into action so that no one would miss seeing the Savior. She had compassion and she acted on it because when she met Jesus for who he was, she saw him as the Messiah. She experienced that living water flowing out of her. She had no choice but to run and give it to the people who she know needed it too. It was Jesus' compassion for her that revealed who he truly is. It reveals his identity. So church, how do you need to come and see? Jesus is having a conversation with you this morning, like we said. He is saying a lot of things that make him sound like some crazy Jewish guy, maybe, to you. But he's not. You know, but you know he is way more than that. He is saying something to you this morning. What was it that first made you fall in love with Jesus? What was your first aha moment? What was the first moment you realized God loves me. That was the start of a story that changed your life. That is your come and see moment. Recapture that moment and that feeling. Who needs to hear you excitedly say, come and see? Okay, because we can say, we can, we can ask God for help with this. We can say, Lord, help us be a community of believers that are excited about what the world can come and see when they encounter you. See, Easter's right around the corner. Now, now is the time to start praying about who you're going to say, come and see. Come and experience. Like this woman said, come and see the one who told me everything I ever did. Come and see, church, come and see the God, the Father, the Son who changed my life. <clears throat> now is the time. We have this perfect opportunity to bring the Jesus 
not problem, because it's not, he's not our problem, he's our solution. But when we bring Jesus to other people, that problem that we show them that he's really the solution to their problems, who are still struggling with it. We solve the Jesus problem that imposes the, on the word of God through the perfection of God set forth by accepting the grace Jesus made possible by his death and resurrection. That's the, that's the solution. Because once we see through compassion the identity of who Jesus is, we don't have a problem anymore. We have a solution and we have a new life that changes the world around us. Church, who needs to hear you say, come and see? Who needs an invite card to Easter? Who needs uh, to have you speak truth and life into life? Who needs to see you worship in spirit and in truth outside of this building or outside of the church? Who needs an encounter with Jesus in your life? Because you know God has changed you or he's in a process of changing you right now. And I guarantee you there's someone in your life who needs a little bit of that too. I want to pray for that this morning as we go. As we're getting close to Easter, I want to pray that we would be a church with the boldness to shout, to wear a shirt that says it, I don't care, to, to proclaim, come and see, come and experience God's goodness this morning or any day of the week. Amen? Would you guys pray with me? Lord, I pray that as a church, we would be on your mission. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be a church that is excited Lord Jesus, I pray that yeah, we would remember what first captured our hearts from you. Lord, I pray that we would have a memory and a passion for that moment like this woman did in the story where though she had brokenness, though she had weakness, though she had all her, these things wrong in her life, the moment that Jesus' compassion on her was seen and felt, she knew his identity, she knew who he was, and she excitedly ran into her town and told people about him. Church, I, Lord, I pray that this church would be one that is excited about Easter, that is excited about your, your resurrection, that is excited about freedom, that is excited about grace and acceptance, forgiveness, Lord. I pray that we would be living that out as we go to work tomorrow. I pray that we'd be proclaiming that as we interact with our families this season. I pray that we would just be dedicated to you and what it looks like to shout, come and see the goodness of God in my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.